Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast, and this week we're going to be talking about kids' comics, uh, unless Mr. Hart has a breakdown in the corner. Um, <laughs> it, should, it should go without saying that if you actually have a child listening to this, you have failed as a parent. You have categorically let them down and let yourself down. With me as always, Lucy Boys. Hello. Roger Hart. I'm trying not to talk about my bottom. With that in mind, what have you been reading whilst waiting for it all to end in the bathroom with the fan on full? What have you been reading in that situation? I don't actually like reading in the bathroom, it just seems weird. Okay. Um, whilst doubled over with crippling abdominal cramps, what have you been reading? I'm fine. I absolutely... Fine. So we, we've been. Uh, he's we, weeping. You can't see it, but he's weeping. We, we've been off for a couple of weeks because uh, Roger has been doing grand tour of Europe, um, like a fancy man from the olden days. Yes, indeed. I, I, I've, I've been wearing a, a frock coat and, uh, and well, uh, having a lot actually. of buggery. <laughs> Quite a bit, yeah. But you've also had a fairly lax approach to vegetables in your diet, haven't you? Well, Austria and Germany are. are not happy places to eat a wide variety of vegetables or amass dietary fibre. Basically, I've eaten a lot of sausages and potatoes. It's been the best of times. It's been the worst of times. It has been the worst of times. Fucking hell. You people. What was, what was the awful one from the other day? You don't need to repeat these jokes. We don't need these recorded for posterity. Posterior. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's so got bum trouble. I do not have bum trouble. Ignoring the fact that you are on a substandard diet. What have you been reading? Um, so, this has been interesting actually, I, I won't go off into this one um, too much, but um, I've been reading Mind Management, which I'll talk, to, talk about in a minute. I haven't actually been reading any comics while I was away, because I've been reading everything on my Kindle just for convenience of packing while travelling. And I am starting to soften my stance on digital comics. So I've... I've um I mean, I, I kind of treat them as a backup, basically. I would rather have a physical thing, but when you have to move, um, you do suddenly think, oh, I could do with a digital version of that instead. Well, I, also, I've got quite a large comics backlog that I'd like to get through, and this would have been a great opportunity, but I couldn't, because the, the, the bulk to reading time ratio is pretty poor. This is very true. It's very, so very they true. So they just didn't make for economical packing, given that I was trying to travel semi-light for a two-week rail trip around Europe. Um, but no, my man, uh, we, do we, we want to talk about yeah, yeah, digital comics? I, I don't know, but probably not. Maybe another time. Yeah. We, can go, we can get a whole podcast out of that. Yeah. Let's, not give, whole... let's not give away the A material. No, no, let's, 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 uh, let's keep that uh, something or other. I don't know. I'm just trying to make something. Um, my management is pretty decent. Have you, you've, you've I've read not encountered it at all. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. So, so uh, mind management. Yes. So... My management is... Was it a graphic novel or was it as, as singles? I think it was a graphic novel, wasn't it? No, it was singles originally. That must have been weird. I've been reading it an issue at a time, like, and leaving a little bit of time between them because it's reasonably atmospheric. Only about half an hour, but... Um, my management is a sort of, I guess, sci-fi, or would, would you call it paranormal? I don't know what you classify, classify psychics as. It's a thriller about psychics. It's sci-fi in the same way that The X-Files is sci-fi. Yeah. Um, it's got a fair bit tonally in common, but um, it starts with, the background is that a commercial flight, um, a few years before the story is set, landed with everyone on it having um, suffered amnesia. No one knew anything about themselves or who they were. Mm -hmm. And then it picks up one of the people that was on the flight, who is a journalist, she writes investigative uh, true crime books, basically. And she's trying to track. I'm sorry. And one person from the flight was missing, and she's trying to track him down. Mm -hmm. And in the course of this, uncovers a bunch of stuff about psychics, effectively weaponized psychics, probably run by the state. Um, it, so there's a lot of nods to the sort of slightly crazy MK Ultra style mm -hmm. or American goat staring gubbins. Um, it, it's that kind of thing. But it's it's so yeah. It's. Um, it's, it's a thriller about this the, the journalist trying to track down the survivor and understand what's going on, and there are agents on her tail, and she's being stalked by shady characters. I'm trying not to give too much away. Um, it's quite an interesting premise. The, the psychics in it, or some of them, they can do various things, but 
the main dangerous or interesting thing they can do is rewrite perceptions en masse. So it's got this thread running through it about what does or doesn't constitute observable reality and kind of unreliability of perception, which is, it's been done before, of course it has, but it's they're doing it quite nicely. I think it's rarely been done so... Uh, not, not, not effective. Effectively is not the way I'm looking for, but... Um, it's neatly mirrored. The character that is the, the sort of main character that does this can rewrite reality for everyone else, but in, in doing so has no idea if any of the people that he cares about actually like him on any objective level. Yeah, I just got to a little, a heart-wrenching little section where he's, uh, he's remembering proposing to someone and then has this massive attack of panic because he has no idea whether her affection for him is a manufactured artifact of his abilities. Um... That's quite... Hmm. Quite bleak. Yeah. Hmm. But there's a few other interesting things going on with it. So the, the art style, it's quite watercolory, quite painty. Mm-hmm. Occasionally strays outside the, the boundaries of, of the framing. Mostly doesn't. It's mostly quite viciously regular. Um, it looks a bit like a more deliberately washed out, deliberately blotchy Joe the Barbarian. Yeah, so the, the line works a lot less precise. It's, mm. it's probably the indiest looking sci-fi comic you'll ever read. Yeah. Hmm. Um, it's um, also got an interesting little uh, little device. So, the pages, um, the left the left facing page has a line of text running up to the the very far side of it, and all of the pages have these little um, uh, little outlines for the for the boxes, and they're lab- they're basically it's labelled file your incident reports within these bounding boxes, and the idea is that it's meant to be a manual or a report from the shady psychic conspiracy. And down the down the sides of the pages, you've got kind of for each for each page one point one, one point two, whatever little little phrases from the manual about how to deal with what's going on, which gradually starts to break down and contain hidden messages. Mm-hmm. This is an enormous pain in the ass because you open it up. Once you realise they're all different and you can't ignore it, you either have to engage with it or not. And if you engage with it, then before, during, or after reading each page, you have to tilt the fucking thing 90 degrees and read the damn thing along the side, which is weird and disruptive, May which which is in and of itself salient. It, it, the experience of reading mind management is quite different to anything else because of that extra element. Um, but I've also found, and this is, I think, a reasonably clever play on the idea of mental manipulation and behavior nudging, that there's kind of a priming and norming effect from, from some other bits of text. If you, if you read them before, so they, some but not all of them have bearing on what's going on on the page. They are kind of referential commentaries to what's going on, and they tie together with some of the narration. If you read it before you read the page, it provides a gloss on what you're about to read and changes the way you think about what you're seeing. If you read it afterwards, it makes you question the veracity of what you've read. Mm-hmm. Which, and I, I, so I've been, I've been kind of hopping back and forth from kind of read it, don't read it, read it before, read it afterwards. It's quite an interesting extra layer to have kind mm. of floating as a, as a gloss. And I do like the fact that that gently fucks with the established reality. It's, it's maybe a little bit smug, but it does work. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I've been reading, um, apart from lots of Actual mid-range books. urban fantasy novels. What about you, Lucy? I've been reading a surprising amount. Where do you find the time? Well, I didn't read anything until Saturday, and then I read Habibi, and that was good. Ooh, all that was in one day. All in, in like an hour and a half, I think. Seven hundred pages long. Really? Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'm just really fucking smart. No, um, I had a free afternoon and just lay down and read through the fucker. And I mean, when I'm reading things like that, the first read, I'll generally read it in a quite cursory fashion for the narrative. I wasn't paying much attention to the design or the symbolism. as I was, I was paying enough attention to see how beautiful it was, but I wasn't getting diving into Craig Thompson's intricacies. It seems to be a ferociously dense book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, sort of, there's a lot of explanation at the start about the numerology of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think to honestly get it, you would need to read up on that and you would need to learn a certain amount of Arabic script. You would, which I'm not going to do, let's be honest. Not soon, anyway. Not not for Craig. For other reasons, perhaps. Right. But not for Craig. Love and war, but not for Craig. So what did you think of it? I really, really enjoyed it. I realised that it is massively, massively problematic from a cultural and potentially racial standpoint. 
in spite of that, I really enjoyed it. Um, how so? It's so I haven't in, read it, and I, don't, I know only the scantest amount about it. So it's set in what Craig Thompson himself describes as a fantasy, modern-day, pan-Arabic country. Which is already a little Which bit Which is already a little bit iffy, except it also seems to dip in and out of time frames within that setting. So it's kind mm. of, it's a bit, it's a bit fantasy around the edges, mm. as in it's meant to be modern day, they have problems of pollution, they have machinery and stuff, but there are certain... I thought it was sort of a little bit near, near sight of dying earth, sort of post-peak oil, post, the, yeah, there's, there's, not exactly societal collapse, but... No, there's definitely, there's a strong element of that, but then certain locations within, within the comic are v- very pre-modern in their setting and aesthetic. Mm. So there's stuff that goes on, there's some stuff that goes on inside a sultan's palace and he's very much a Thousand and One Nights type sultan with all the trappings of that Mm. than he is a modern ruler of anything. It's, it's, it's quite fable-y. Not Mm. fables-y, but fable-y. And that's, it's, I mean, it's very, it's very engaging, but it's, it also, you know, it deals with personal experience of being a woman and being living in an Arabic culture and issues of race and issues of sexuality that I'm pretty sure Craig Thompson has not directly experienced. And I realise that that's no necessary barrier to representation, but it presents representational challenges. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it massively front loads a research obligation. And there's enough twisting of things to make... I mean, I think he even admits in the afterword that he twisted things to make them fit the plot rather than to fit the nature of reality or to fit, mm. be consistent with his research. But I'm, I mean... Which is, you know, kind of okay in fiction, so long as you keep an eye on the consequences. Yeah. I mean, I suspend... You know, I took off my political hat and really fucking enjoyed it, but your mileage may vary. So what else have you been reading? Um, I read something called I Saw You, which is an anthology of comics by various creators, including Lucy Nisley, who the consequential team are a fan of broadly, um, about based on or incorporating um, Craigslist missed connection ads from the US, <laughs> which is just kind of lovely, and people have taken taken them and run with them their they own ways. They didn't illustrate the Super Mario Brothers one, did they? they? No, that was mm-hmm. Gumtree. Oh, one of, one of my favourite... One of the few genuinely good drag acts I've ever seen was um, um, a dude dressed up as Maya Angelou reading very earnestly from... No, not in blackface. It's not as bad as that. Um, no, that sounds incredible. But, yeah, an enormous black dude reading... Uh, dressed as Maya Angelou reading incredibly earnestly um, misconnections ads from Craigslist. I mean, nobody has yet topped my all-time favourite, which is Six Man Bukaki Party looking for seventh and venue. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think anything ever will. No, but, um, that's, that's, uh, do you think they found one? Take that, Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I'm not saying they were doing it too, Ernest Hemingway. I'm just saying it's a very nice turn of phrase. Um, it's. I'm not getting that out of my head now. It's good. No, it's it's very enjoyable. It's a. Uh, I, so, I mean, one of my personal hobbies, occasionally my gentleman friend and I will sit together and read the Craigslist ads for shits and giggles. And, um, yeah, this was a nice way of bringing comics into that desperately seedy part of my life. Excellent. Anything else? Yes, I also read Naming Monsters by Hannah Eaton, which uh, Mr. Conbury lent to me. And I read that this afternoon when I was supposed to be working, so sorry, work. Um, It was really good. Um, I liked it a lot. You seem confused. I'm confused, yeah. It's quite hard going, isn't it? It is pretty hard going. Emotionally, it's quite a drain. Yeah. I assume you found the same. Uh, Yeah, broadly. There's a sort of... It's a sort of of coming-of-age sexuality narrative with what seems to be sort of familial breakdown and something that closely resembles OCD thrown in for good measure. Yeah, we, we talked about it a few weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, it's, um, well, yeah, it it's hard going. It is definitely yeah. well, I mean, it's now on my Amazon wish list. Mm. Oh, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, but I haven't quite processed it yet. Yeah. 
I'd say that's fair. It's, it's, I thought it was, especially for a first time mm. graphic novels, I thought it was excellent. I enjoyed the uh, mix of art styles. Yes. Yeah, it jumps between pen and ink for the real world. Mm-hmm. Or pencil for the pen- monsters or the other one. Pencil around. for the monsters, pen and ink for the real world. No, but pencil some... for the real world, pen and ink for the monsters. And dreams are pen and watercolour, I think. Pen and yeah. um, or very light inking. Yeah, very <laughs> light ink wash. It's very nice. Very nicely done. Um, reminded me, actually, the pencil sections reminded me of Eustace, mm. visually. It's a bit scrappier and a bit messier. Yeah. But I think very much deliberately so. Yes, oh, there's no, also, definitely. There's also but... a lot more going on. I think Eustace is reasonably sparing in the yes. line work. Whereas this, yes, this was quite a lot busier. Um, and finally, I read four issues of Baggy Wrinkles by Lucy Bellwood, another long-time consequential favourite. Um, I keep meaning to look at that. It's good. Oh, Cartosia um, sounds exciting. Oh, this is um, a Kickstarter that she and many others are involved in, which mm. is... Uh, I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, because it ties oh, in quite neatly to the... It's, kind of, it's, it's all ages, isn't it? It's very much, very much uh, cast as an all-ages comic. Is, uh, is Maggie Wrinkles all ages? Uh, yes, uh, very age-appropriate, I would mm. say. Yeah, um, it's... Um, and, yeah, charming. Broadly educational as well. You can learn Indeed. things about ships. I learned things and about ships. Mm. I learned lots of well, things she, about she ships. Well, she sells ships, doesn't she? She does, yeah. which is why she did comics about them, and now you can learn about them. Excellent. Um, I, yeah, it didn't make me want to go on them in anything more than a kind of fantasy way, because I just I don't think I'm built for a life on the high seas. Mm-hmm. There's no Wi-Fi for one. You do a lot of piracy, though. I do do a lot of piracy, but I prefer internet piracy. Mm. My fishing's with a PH. <laughs> um... Sorry, that was a really <laughs> terrible joke. It was a pretty. It was. A, it was uh, I think I'm having a seizure. But yes, I'm a big fan of her lettering as well. There is not mm. enough good legible lettering these days. So mm. thank you, Lucy, for your lettering. For your lettering. I mean, the, the drawing is lovely as well. But having read a couple of things recently, which I could barely read, I really fucking appreciate good solid lettering. Good. What have you been reading, Mr. Connery? Always oh, sounds so forced, doesn't it? Um, well, we don't really care. No. Oh, here we go again. Uh, I've been reading Infinite Vacation. Um, it's like Infinite Jest, but with more holidays and fewer jokes. Um, you know how Infinite Jest is kind of really depressing because it's David Foster Wallace? Yeah. This is really depressing because a uh, cannibal version of the main character tries to uh, decapitate him and have sex with his neck. Whoops. So, you know, there are parallels. Um no, Infinite Vacation is it's another big big uh, sci-fi thing and in it every single so people know about quantum theory to mm. and oh yes you sorry you reviewed this on the I did I did um, but basically many worlds theory is true which means that there are infinite parallel universes and there's an app that allows people to switch between them called <laughs> called Infinite Vacation where they can basically set a market pl- a market pr- uh, price d- describe what their life is like and then jump swap universes with the other person uh, and uh, they basically download exactly everything that, uh, that they've done up to that point and are able to live out their life from that, that moment on um, and there's one guy who basically is a feckless waster and uh, really? yes cool. uh, and I know, there's a, there's a bit of a metaphor that he keeps jumping because he doesn't know what he wants and he's always changing. Yeah, so it's, it's quite... It's clever too clever they, for me. What they do in books these days. It is. It? Yeah. Um, when it rapidly becomes apparent that people are trying to kill every version of him from every reality and mm. uh, he needs to team up with a bunch of his other selves and find out why. In a kind of looper way or...? No, in a, in a very, very, very complicated... Uh, way where he keeps basically jumping around. He sort of has a small team of hymns who are trying to stop them all being murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, they, uh, they they basically fish him out of his reality uh, so that no one knows where he is and they swap him out with a paedophile version of himself who they don't care what happens to. Um, and uh, off it goes. Adventures. Really horrible adventures. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know it, him figuring out what he needs to do with his life ties very neatly into 
the collapse of the waveform in uh, quantum physics. I see. He solves all his psychic troubles at the same time as the physics troubles occur. Sort of, yeah. Mm. It's quite clever. Mm. I quite liked it. The artwork is really, really busy, but it's very, very well done. Too busy for me? Possibly. So I initially thought that this was something that I could not read. The artwork was just way, way busier than I, I generally get used to. But because the plot is weird and spirally and needs to be dictated very, very clearly. Mm-hmm. The artwork somehow matches that um, in that it presents quite big, weird concepts quite quickly and very, very well. So it's more sort of diagrammatic mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time uh, than it is sort of comic-y, but uh, it, it does it all very, very well. Um, cool. So it's a guy called Christian Ward, who I hadn't encountered before at all. I will now keep an eye on. Mm. You'd recommend it? I would, with reservations. I mean, it is exceptionally violent in places. It's not nice. Um, not one of, for the kids at home. Who not listening. one for the kids. No. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 not the violence isn't as frequent, but it is similar to crossed in places. So oh. it's pretty it's pretty bad. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Uh, Right, everyone clear their sinuses. <coughs> oh. oh, diseases. Kids comics. Woo! That's a thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know much about how much you guys read when you were young, but I certainly read a lot of comics, as you can probably guess. Because you're a big nerd man. In yes. 1993, I found a discarded copy of Watchmen in a hotel in an old ho- in a hotel room. Is that actually true? Because yeah. I imagine that might be true. How covered in semen was it? I don't think I'd have known at the time, but I'd probably not very. Hmm. But now I've a strong temptation to go around your house and go over your copy of Watchmen with one of those black lights just to mm-hmm. see. But no, this is basically my origin myth. You found so a discarded copy of Watchmen in a hotel room in 1993, maybe 1994. But still, you'd have been quite young. Really mm-hmm. far too young to be really well. I didn't really understand it, but I, it was the first comic that wasn't like the Beano or a dedicated kids strip that I'd actually come across. And I hadn't realised that they were like that. I thought they were all funny book strips. I think we're going to probably have to shy away from recommending it for all children. Yeah, yeah. it's got a big blue wang. Well, kids love tentacle monsters. Got a big they, blue wang they on do, Mars. They do, but you do have to hold out. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of wang. First of all, there is a, really just quite a lot of quantum dong. Dr. Wang Hatton. Yes. And, uh, Dr. Manhood. You know, there's also, there's also the raft made of dead people. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some stuff that isn't nice. No, there's, there's a lot of stuff that there's isn't nice. There's some lesbian murder as well. And the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah that's too. Exploding heads. So basically, you read Watchmen when you shouldn't have, and now you're broken, basically. That's what happened to me with Will Self novels. Yeah. So Alan Moore destroyed you, and Will Self destroyed you. Basically, I've been a wreck ever since. I just read Asterix, which is why I'm so well-adjusted, I think. Happy. Yes. Almost. Almost. He really thinks that. (laughs) Fuck. But, so, there's a lot of people at the moment uh, in the sort of comics industry panicking a bit about how few comics there are for kids. Um, There's certainly in the UK anyway, because things like The Dandy, which was a mainstay of British comics for about 70 years, has folded. Um, The Beano went digital, didn't it? The Dandy went digital for a while, and then that website folded as well. Mm. The Beano still exists as a print comic. I mean, it's always been terrible, but... Um, But The Beano... I mean, I read The Beano as a kid, and must have loved it at the time because I had a three foot high stack of the things that disappeared one day and my mother was tidying and Mm. um, she doesn't know where they are Mm. Uh, so mum if you're listening to this uh, let me know if you find those Uh, but things like that are disappearing and Mark Miller's uh, Clint magazine which had well mostly stuff like kick ass um, which isn't exactly ideal for children because Mark Miller wrote it and it's horrible um, but stuff like that's disappearing from the shelves as well. So without going to sort of dedicated comic shops, it's actually quite hard to find the good stuff for kids. Yeah. So we've got The Phoenix, which is great. Um, have either of you read this? I haven't. I've, I've, I've I want to. So there are some great strips in there, and it does a lot of interesting stuff. But I think 
the best one for me is called Corpse Talk, which is that sort of macabre stuff that kids really like. Basically, the, the artist draws himself having exhumed various people from history um, and, and interviews their corpse, and they explain what things were like in their time and who they were and that sort of thing. That is so, quite cool. That sounds great. There's a kid's comic where a guy digs up H.P. Lovecraft's body and asks him to explain the Cthulhu mythos and his worldview. Mostly racism, isn't it? It's a bit racist, but also there's mm-hmm. that you know existential horror of everything. Yeah. Um, Pressing in on us constantly. It's a merciless cosmos. It is. So that's an only death is merciful. And then in the states, you've got stuff like Archie, which is still going strong. Oh yeah. Um, They had a gay wedding. That's nice. They had a gay wedding, and uh, parental groups uh, asked Walmart to ban it. Mm, That was giving it far more publicity, and it sold out almost straight away and went to second and third printings. Gotta love the Streisand effect. You do. Yep. You do, yeah. you tell people not to look at your nose and they just keep looking. <laughs> I may have misunderstood the Streisand effect. No, no, that's basically it. She built a small condo on the front of her face without planning <laughs> permission and it, when it all blew up, there was a small explosion. It was, it was quite a small condo, so it has gone wrong. No, I'm following you. <laughs> you shouldn't. It makes perfect sense. You absolutely shouldn't. Um, so, kids' comics... What did you read when you were young? So I read The Beano and the Dandy religiously. Mm. My grandparents would buy me a copy of each each week and I'd go to their house on Sundays and eat the little... This was in the 90s when they gave you a little bar of sweets on the front, mm. like a refresher bar or Off something. It was usually a refresher bar. Yeah, it was good. Or like sometimes mm. a dib-dab or a lolly or oh, something. God, yeah. I love sugar dib-dabs. Yeah, so I would eat the candy and, eat the, and um, read the comics and have a nice little time. And then I didn't really hit comics again until... I was like 19 or 20, so I'm not really qualified to talk about stuff mm-hmm. I did as a kid. Do you view those like, things like being on the dandy as, as inherently separate to the rest of the comics? Because somehow, I don't know why, but in my head I, I have them completely removed from everything else. Yes, for me they are also completely removed from everything else. I think partly because the way that I experience comics now, those were much too accessible and much too normalised. And for me, comics is a slight offshoot of something else, a thing that's not massively popular, something you don't necessarily get instant recognition for when you talk about. It's it's a bit offbeat in the context of my life. Right. And that's... And the Beano and the Dandy are very different to that because they were just there. And also, the comics that I like now as an adult are very, very different to that mm, sort of serialised adventure slash funny slash kids stuff. I mean, I like the sad comics and there were no tearjerkers in the Beano. And the, the sense of humour is, I mean, it's fatuous to say that it's more childish, but it, it's it's more than that, actually. It's 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 that weird British mm. seaside humour type of yeah. humour. Bawdy and very normative. Mm. And it's kind of... The Beano and the Dandy and stuff like that goes into the same mental box as the period slightly later in my life when I quite happily watched Friends and without realising how genuinely dreadful and witless it was. It's kind of... It, it's I bet like, you had a Rachel haircut, though. <laughs> you would have rocked that. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 the gap between those and the comics I like, it's sort of, or even the humorous ones, to try and maintain some vague continuum between the two is like the gap between the sense of humor in, say, Friends and... Friends is great, though. They've got that one that's sarcastic and the one who likes food and, you know, all those other personality traits. Yeah. Sorry, but yes. Yes, it's, I agree. It doesn't help that Dennis the Menace is a sociopath. And the whole thing is just riddled with some deeply objectionable culturally conservative homophobia. In the Beano? Yeah. I always... Uh, so presumably you're talking about the fact that he bullies the, the soft kids. Explicitly referred to um, until comparatively recently as the sissies. Right. Mm. Or was it softies? Softies. softies Walter the softie. Mm. Um, there was a... There was a early uh, Garth Ennis Judge Dredd strip uh, where an unnamed character was a necromancer and it was very explicitly Walter from the Vino uh, and his, his very first 
very first thing that he had raised from the dead he carried around on a leash and it was this zombie in a black and red striped t-shirt <laughs> so somewhere out there there is it is canon in the Judge Dredd stories that Walter from the Beano went apeshit started raising the dead <laughs> I killed and that. resurrected Dennis the Menace that's profoundly awesome yeah and I'd read that without noticing it as a child and then I was reading through some collection of 2008 a while back spotted that and just thought it was the best thing ever even mm. if it is a little crude yeah. um, but for me like the Beano and the Dandy was stuff that I read I was fiercely loyal to the Beano over the Dandy even though I'd read both ditto I, I preferred the Beano the Dandy was slightly weird and slightly dry and the Desperate Dan stuff just did nothing for yeah, me what the fuck is Desperate Dan even what about the fu- so what the fuck is Desperate Dan even about whereas the Beano's main Dennis the Menace comic I found more engaging and also mm. the sort of the dandy side comics mm. were worse as well, well. The Beano is hugely predicated on I, and I think it's actually a very British thing it, it's predicated on mischief and subversion and it's very safe and it is as you say quite normative and socially conservative It's the normative but, subversion which terrifies mm. me the concept But my, da- like my dad loved the idea of me reading the Beano partly because it played into the sort of misty-eyed nostalgia thing that he sort of has going on a little bit It meant you were um, a real boy Yeah, you know, run around in the street and scrape your knees and yeah. go and but get to have that kind of safe, sort of slightly 1950s mischief. So there's something in um, Neil, Neil Stevenson in, in in the Diamond Age. One of his characters waxes lyrical about this, about the the idea of the importance of contained and measured subversion and mischief, particularly in a, a national psyche like the British one. And I don't know. There's a little bit of something to that. And even if there isn't, I think it's shot right through something like the Beano. Mm. So I always kept it very isolated in my head from other stuff that I read, like Asterix, which was also a children's comic. Mm. Um, a much better children's comic. Sure. Um, I think I played the Asterix video game. Was it the side-scrolling arcade game? No. There were probably quite a lot of Asterix video games. I think it's games. the PS1 or something. Oh, wow. That would have been one of the movie tie-ins, wouldn't it? Probably. Oh. The main movie? Two. Two movies. Derek Jared Deputy plays Obelix. Are they terrible? Uh, the first one is terrible, the second one is not so terrible. Um, but I, I genuinely loved the Asterix books. Um, so I'm old enough that they were still coming out uh, when I was a kid, which was quite exciting because it meant that. Uh, despite uh, having well thumbed, read, and reread collections of them, there would still be new stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's something I want to go back and read, but the canon's too vast and it terrifies me. I mean, is there a... It's not actually that big. It's, so is there, is there a sort of... Except, is, is it linear to read it's, through? Or? Uh, it's linear but isolated. You don't need to read okay. one to understand the rest. There's no real continuity. No, all, okay. you need, all you need to know is that Asterix found the magic potion when he was a baby. He's super strong. His friend is... Oh, Obelix did, rather. Mm-hmm. Asterix is very, very brave. Obelix is very stupid but strong. Mm-hmm. And they don't like the Romans. Cool. Well, the Romans are dicks, so... Right. That's basically, basically it. Hmm. Um, but I absolutely loved those. Um, and there doesn't really seem to have been anything new that falls into that sort of spot, sort of serialised but book format and mm-hmm. distinct comics. Well, it's a fairly European format, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and this is one of the things that I sort of had to think about before, before we uh, came to talk about this, is that the European experience of comics must be very different to, mm. to elsewhere mm. because these sort of non-superhero kids comics Mm. have always been really quite prevalent from quite early in the 20th century when you had like when did Tintin start? 1931 or so? pretty early yeah Um, so do you remember when we were working at Borders and they did the big plush reissues of Tintin in the Congo yeah and everyone went apeshit because yeah because Tintin in the Congo I mean they sort of had a point explicitly racist Um, to to their credit and to Peugeot's credit, because he later said, you know, I was a child, it was an idiotic thing to write, and I was swept up in a sort of wave of uh, national feeling mm. about Belgium having taken over the Congo, and Belgium as an imperial power, mm. which is a sentence I can't believe I've said. Let them have their moment. I mean... Uh, their moment was vile, and they almost destroyed a small African country. Yes. Uh, so, no, uh, I won't. But the first... Chips and mayo, though. The f- that is Great good. beer. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dissing the Belgians. I'm just okay. saying that they've had some, had some bad times, and then they made a comic about it. I mm. mean, luckily our imperial history is just spotless. Clean. Yes, yeah. absolutely spotless. Pure as the driven snow. Didn't yeah. fuck anything up anywhere. No. 
No. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. Ooh, yeah. Damn it. Sorry, rest of the entire world. Mm. I like looking at the list of countries Britain hasn't invaded. It's, it's like quite sure, Yeah, it's isn't terrifyingly it? small. It's like Liechtenstein. That's it. And why would we? Mm. Sorry, Liechtenstein. I bought some wine there. Did you lick any steins whilst you were there? Um, no. Um, they served me a beer in a wine glass. It was very strange. Dicks. But basically, um, Liechtenstein's terrible misuse of glassware aside, um, these things are... They're kind of normalised. Mm. Um, and I didn't treat them any different to other books. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes. I, sorry, I just had a context slip there and thought you were talking about colonial abuses of power being normalised in your childhood. No, I'm talking about fucking Asterix books. <laughs> colonial abuses I mean, of power I'm, were normalised in your childhood. So, yeah, you guys is, you guys is dicks, uh, basically. Oh, this again. <coughs> Sometimes we have to bring this up, because, you know, you people are terrible and 200 years of misrule. It's okay uh, that you sound like one of us. Yeah, it's true, I know. Well, this is the extent of your creeping imperialisation. You have actually colonised my throat. I find that deeply unfair. Is it full of bulldogs and fish and chips? By birthright, I should sound like I have a twinkle in my eye all the time, rather than sounding like a depressed chip-munching bastard like the rest of you. But here you we don't are. look like you have a twinkle in your eye. No, I don't. You look like you've been ground down. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Asterix, Asterix and Tintin, they're still big. Um, I mean, you still see the Tintin rocket spinners in mm. lots of kids' sections in yeah. bookshops. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of Tintin growing up. And they're not separated out in any way. Um, they're just in there with the kids' books, and that's it. Yeah. They're just... but that's, Some that's places shelve them in the graphic novels as well. Tintin in the Congo is always, se- is always separated. Yeah. <laughs> um, some places, yeah, some places do, but it's really... It's, it's still pretty common to see the, the, sort of the Tintin rocket mm. full of comics everywhere. But that sort of feels like it's past that cultural moment. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess with kids' comics, the kind of separation of format between picture books, comics, and illustrated slight books of slightly older kids, it, it all gets a little yeah. blurry. Especially, I guess, the younger they are, but... Quite possible. I don't know if that means anything. I don't know. So there's, I mean, there's publishers like First Second who do loads of all-ages graphic novels mm-hmm. that would be absolutely fine to just shelve with kids books mm-hmm. right. so um, I didn't realise that they were particularly looking at age duration I just thought they were someone whose books I started buying a lot of recently in the last well in the last couple mm-hmm. of years mm-hmm. so they've really ramped up their publishing so stuff like um, I think we mentioned it before but Anya's Ghost yes um, which is great and Vera Brosgold which mm-hmm. is great and it's slightly spooky and I find it quite terrifying. <laughs> I had trouble reading it alone at night. It sort of starts out as a sort of adventure story. A kid finds this ghost in an old well, and right. the ghost comes out and helps her, and uh, is pleasant to be around, and, and they have secret things that are kept from everyone else. And then it slowly becomes more and more terrifying. She becomes more controlling, and it becomes quite apparent that mm. she uh, is sort of acting out through... The living girl. She's got ghost problems. She has got ghost problems. She's got 99 problems and most of them are that she's dead and stuck in a well. I mean... That that does tend to end badly for people. I feel bad for you, son. Mm. Got well problems. She's well got problems. Um, But they do stuff like that. They've just published um, Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant, which is absolutely great. Um, Have you guys seen this as a webcomic? No. So the first half of the book is online before it got sort of snapped up as a uh, as a proper book and and published, um, and it's sort of nineteenth uh, century adventure story. A um, I think a Greek adventurer called Delilah Dirk, who's sort of a Indiana Jones analog. She oh, is this the British? Um the same format as Tintin looks a bit like Indiana Jones thing that was being touted at Thought Bubble last year. Uh, no, I don't think so, because the book's only just been published. Oh, right. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Oh. Um, we'll figure that out and come back to it. Mm. But this is great. It's just, it's, um, it's an adventure story, uh, and she's an incredibly capable protagonist. Um, and has like a, a French pterodactyl lady. Yeah, like, like yeah. a double, like a double sec, but yes. this is a lot more running and jumping and, and uh, 
scrapes and narrow avoidance, and it's absolutely beautiful artwork. And I want to read again, the one some, as something I picked up as something that I would like to read. Mm-hmm. It's it's a sort of caper story. It's the mm-hmm. sort of thing that I enjoy. I had no thoughts as to its suitability for other ages, but it's just it's a really really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great book. And well She'd recommend it for ages 32 and down. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I hardly would. Um, but they've, they've just got a massive, massive range of stuff for everyone, really. Um, like Battling Boy, which is Paul Pope's new book, which is, again, it's like trying to be something for kids, and it's a like a 12-year-old superhero whose father is sort of equivalent of Zeus in mm-hmm. their world, and he's essentially a Hercules analogue, but he's just wearing, uh, in very Paul Pope style, he's wearing jeans, t-shirt, sneakers, and a cape. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Have you come across fights um, monsters. Molly Danger? Mm, uh, the name's familiar. So Is it from about ten years ago? No, 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 it's it's from Kickstarter a year and a bit ago. A guy called Jamal Igor. Um It was funded a while ago. Um, Laura Molly posted about it on some form of social media which is how I found it and it's about a girl who is she's a Superman analogue she doesn't really age it's not clear how old she is but she's about 12, 13 or something and there's a bit of like, there's going to be a bit of that kind of finding yourself and learning to live in the world and sort of teen narrative and then a bit of the sort of pure and true superhero sort of Superman type thing but the whole idea was to basically it, his I think I can't remember if he had a daughter had a friend with a daughter but had this, this idea that he wanted to do a hero for girls that girls could enjoy the same way that boys get to enjoy superheroes as per the gender binary um, so kind of yeah a, a I'm trying not to say strong female character because that's that's a hideous, hideous yeah, thing is. but also I think it is going to be better than that mm. um, but teenage girls pseudo superman um, so it's a, it's a tricky thing to handle because obviously there's the uh, there's the good version of strong female character, which is just a well-written female character. Yes. <laughs> um, and then there's the sort of Stephen Moffat-esque... Mm. Uh, Spunky girl with moxie. Yeah. Who I think is, the aspiration here is a little girl that little girls can want to be. Yeah. And that's, but without being a princess. Yeah, and without sort of... Without... You can be incredibly well-meaning and do it clumsily, and mm-hmm. I think that's what you end up with. Sort of like Stephen Moffat is a very good mm-hmm. example for this. He can't actually write women at all, no. and and when he does do women who are capable, it's sort of mm. ludicrous, um, sort of capable to the point of being virtually superhuman mm-hmm. rather than having character. Um, yeah, and it's that's just a bit sad. Really. That's one of the things that Delilah Dirt does very well is that it's um, it's it's still explicitly the nineteenth century. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the, the, her gender does come into it, but it's never really overplayed, mm. um, and she herself sort of ignores it. Um, it's just it's it's really quite deftly handled, and it's something that can go the wrong way in either direction yeah. all too easily. Nice. I'm quite looking forward to Molly Danger whenever it actually shows up from the Kickstarter mm. thing. Is it something you backed? Yeah. Um, I've sort of lost track. Actually, I should really find out when it's how that's going. It just sounded interesting. There was one I recommended before, which is another very good, well, recommended and then <coughs> found out some interesting things about the guy who wrote it. So um, it's uh, it was one called New Brighton Archaeological Society. Oh, yeah. And I've got the first volume, and mm. it's a great um, fantasy-ish thing about quite young young kids, team of adventurers who decide that they're going to... They've basically all been orphaned when their parents, who were the original Brighton Archaeological Society, where mm. something happened to them and they vanished. And now the kids decide to go off and they have romps, they fight goblins, and it's kind of, um, I wouldn't say Harry Potter-esque, but it exists in a fantasy world where everyone's kind of uh, grounded, Mm. um, despite the fact that they are going off and having magical adventures in floating castles and all that sort of thing. Um, And the second volume of that was, the Image published the first one, but I don't think wanted Mm. to continue it. And the second one was funded through Kickstarter. So it was written by Mark Andrew Smith, who seems to be a good writer, but has he's one of the people that, that has done more to sully the reputation of Kickstarter than, than almost anyone else. Oh, it's one of these. Yes. Whoops. So uh, he started another one, another Kickstarter after New Brighton Archaeological Society, which was 
um, called Sullivan Sluggers, and it got delayed and delayed further and so on and so on and eventually it got to the point where he tried to run a second Kickstarter to pay for the shipping because he'd miscalculated it quite badly. Um, that's not the sort of thing that you can do on Kickstarter. They kind of frown that's on not, that. That's not good. Yeah, so he, he basically... He screwed things up quite badly and started accusing everyone else of... of uh, having let him down horribly and it being everyone else's fault. And when you fuck up, at least own it. Yeah, but the fact that he had not delivered the previous Kickstarter and had still mm. managed to fuck up the next one was a little mm. bit uh, off-putting. So uh, if you can find the first volume of New Brighton Archaeological Society, yeah, probably read that. He needs the money. Um, <laughs> uh, um, as well as first second, I feel like no doing some good stuff for kids with the Hilda stuff. Yes. Yeah, um, definitely. Which is also charming and, and lovely. They've, they've just split off into a second... They've, they've got their own kids' line. Oh, now, have they? Just, awesome. Yeah, flying Eye books, mm. um, which all of the Hilda stuff's being rebranded under that. Um, Glorious. But they've also done stuff like this brilliant, brilliant kids' book, um, which is not a comic at all, really, except it's presented as one sort of, called uh, Welcome to Your Awesome Robot, which is a basically a comic guide to building a robot out of cardboard, just building a robot costume uh, and decorating it, but it's got bits to cut out and stick Ooh, on, cool. and so... I would just have loved re- that. Yeah, exactly. It's the sort of thing that I would have really enjoyed when I was about six or seven. Would um, you still enjoy it now? Fuck yes. Unfortunately, it doesn't scale. I would have to blow it up and clean it up in Photoshop, but I definitely haven't thought about how to do that. Of course not. Why would I say that if I hadn't... What? I built a castle that could fit four adult humans in it out of cardboard at work for legit reasons. Yeah, that we, was... we can get you a lot of cardboard. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm the choir in this, and you're preaching to me. But yeah, they um, they definitely publish a lot of stuff. It's interesting at this point that we haven't really mentioned any of the superhero comics, which you would kind of think are traditionally children's comics. Well, except they're now gritty. About, yeah, feelings. it's now mandatorily gritty. With the possible, I mean, okay, so I'm being harsh. Some people are doing some stuff that's pretty acceptable, um, although it doesn't tend to slip much below teen, I wouldn't say. Yeah, stuff like Young Avengers is yeah. very much teen. It's yeah, it's it's definitely teen, and that's probably the um, that's probably the sort of friendliest from the main studio as well. Um, I mean, there's there's other things. There are the sort of mainstream. Uh, there are the mainstream lines like some of the Spider-Man ones. Yeah, are Spider-Man okay. broadly. Um, I mean. I think DC are worse for this than Marvel. Um, you, you can use that almost <laughs> thing. True. Um, but their stuff seems to be much more sexualized mm. um, and not in a. Oh, God, that so, woman cover. Yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, their stuff's definitely more sexual. I mean, I just don't like most of it anywhere near as much. Mm. There's not many characters in there that I actually care about. Um, but they have explicitly said, you know, we make comics for 18 to 34 year olds, that's who we're writing for. You've so, got two years left, dude. So you get, I know, well, if, if honestly, I don't really fear for those two years of enjoying DC Comics, because I haven't been enjoying DC Comics since the late 1990s. Um, Sorry, yeah, I've just called you old. It. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You wise to my tricks. Yeah, I somehow turned that around into commentary on comics, which is the sort of thing you think we might make a stab at. Ouch. See, I took your burn and I turned that right around. You did. Is that yeah. officially a sick burn? I, I believe think that so. was a sick burn. Crap, to invest in some burn lotion, take me out of the burns unit. Mm. I was saying boo burns. <laughs> What's your first name? I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. But before we degenerate into Simpsons quotes, it is kind of hard to recommend like the big two companies in terms of actually putting putting out things for kids. Mm. I just don't think I could. I, mean, I, I would recommend, for, for older kids, I would probably recommend Invincible, except the fact that it gets pretty nasty it does, about a trade in. It does get quite nasty at points. I wouldn't... I wouldn't say that would deter sort of 13, 14 onwards, no. but then, you know, your mileage may vary. Uh, your, your children might be more delicate than my hypothetical... Uh, child? Child I'm imagining. Well, I'm just thinking of me as 13 or 14. 
I read a lot of Judge Dredd. It wasn't particularly mm. nice. You were a tough little fucker. I was. I was out there on the mean streets of Saffron Walden, <laughs> taking <laughs> taking and rolling with the punches. No. Going to Waitrose. I was going to say the punch in that question contains, you know, a little bit of watermelon, maybe some chartreuse. Spot of gin. Mm. We did have a very fancy dessert, which was just very thin slices of oranges soaked in Cointreau. That was served in a punch bowl. Really? Mm. That's not dessert, that's just fruit booze. Yeah, no, I was like Or 14. booze fruit. What it was Christmas Eve. Watermelon and chartreuse would be awful. My uh, mother used to make a thing called a brandied bomb Vesuvius, which was kind of like a baked Alaska, but you set it on fire with brandy. Mm, very nice. Mm. It would have been better if it had been spurting jam out of the middle, like some kind of horrible volcanic ejaculation. Of that would be better. <laughs> I do love a jam ejaculation. Ejamculation? I'm shuffling, shuffling around for other I think it's a jamculation. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll come in your mouth, be their slogan. You'll get third degree burns. <laughs> it's, it's a jizzerv, if you will. Oh, for jizzerv. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find it just spaffy. <laughs> Please oh. forgive me before I do a spooge pun. Oh. Please stop me before I do a spooge yeah, pun. I'm gonna forgive you. No. No. What no. is it with the spur sound and semen? Spaff, yeah, spunk, spunk, spooge. Spider-Man. So I'm a big fan of uh, Rainer Targemeyer's comics, which are explicitly for kids. They are published by Scholastic, and so far she's got two. One's called Smile, which is her experience of getting braces as quite a young kid, and the other is called Drama, which is about a middle school friendship group in America and their drama class slash out-of-school extracurricular theatre thing, mm. plus the, um, the pun you see, the drama of their interactions. Because oh. the, uh, the young people have feelings for each other and stuff. But yeah, they're done in a quite bright, cartoony style, which I think I imagine children would find engaging. I certainly did. They're very approachable. They're very popular with the kids, apparently. And yeah, I like them a lot. What about Mark Ellaby? Oh, Mark Ellaby. What about Mark Ellaby? Chloe Noonan? Um, Chloe Noonan definitely would. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking sort of in terms of stuff from webcomics, I think Chloe Noonan would, would be a good... Uh, a good one for children. I think, yeah, for teens, for sort of, like twelve plus. Yeah, yeah, for younger teens, it's the kind of. So when yeah. I was, when I was that age, I enjoyed reading stuff about slightly older teens and being like, oh man, I can't wait to be a teen. And like, so oh good. god, puberty well, is miserable. Bad machinery. It's kind of a good because <sighs> yes. that, that's. I mean, that's completely appropriate for all ages. But mm. the teens in that are, you know, smarter than teens ever are. They have a far wittier turn of phrase than teens really do. And also, they're they're maturing gradually, which I'm enjoying. Yeah. They're, they're not kids anymore, quite obviously. And that's good fun. Plus, uh, John Allison. John Allison makes better jokes than anyone I know. We're sorry, we do try, but we just can't match up. You guys are alright, but you know Allison. Yeah. Well, that's why he's making the big webcomics money and we're here. True. Doing jobs. <laughs> doing jobs. Badly, I might add. I mean, who else is going to warn us not to tit about on ladders? No one. I've I mean, he's already, he's already done it so effectively. I've got that poster in my room just in case I've ever tempted to go up into the attic. You shouldn't go up into the attic. No, it's full of accountancy reports from my landlord from 1995. And the boiler is up there too. We fix it occasionally. Probably spiders as well. Um, spiders, definitely spiders. Mm. I've got a futon. You have got a futon. You've got a secret base. I've got a secret oh, base. Yeah, you've got your bizarre sex loft. Thank you for saying loft. <laughs> We have had this discussion. <laughs> he doesn't like it when I call it a sex attic. It just, the pronunciation could slip, and, you know... Yeah, it, it could. It could. It's sex attack? <laughs> That's also there we bad. Go. Yes, you see, there we go. Sex addict? No, it was more attack okay. that I was worried about. Um, I'm going to posit something related to children's comics when you're not accusing me of terrible crimes. Are you going to posit it um, in the loft or outside of the loft? I'm just I'm going to posit it right here. Okay, in the loft. I think that one of the things stopping there being a really good market for kids comics is the fact that so many of it, so many of the ones that are 
really accessible are tied up in the direct sales model through Diamond to specialist comic shops. To be fair, the sentence, I think the problem with something related to comics and business models, something, something Diamond, is pretty replicable. Yeah, you can you can just swap out X and Y. But, so stuff like, um, before we started, you mentioned Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've sold pretty well through comic shops. Mm-hmm. And the graphic novels will probably sell pretty well through, uh, through normal bookshops mm-hmm. when they stock them. But that sort of thing, the, the monthlies... Mm. They would sell really well if you could just get them in a normal newsagent's. Mm-hmm. And if there were such a thing as a newsagent anymore. Well, W.H. Smith's. Kind of. For a while. So that's, that sort of thing, I mean, needs somewhere to sell. And stuff like the first, second stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot I mean, of, yeah, a lot of bookshops that... do have one or two copies in the graphic novel section, but it would be good to see that actually in the kids' section. This, I mean, everyone, everyone, the stuff we've come to today has been on the fairly indie end of the publishing spectrum. And, that's, and we've mostly come to it from the internet, I think. And that has yeah. its own problems of distribution and appeal and audience. This is, this is where I was going to go, is that um, people want to... Postulating wildly here, but people want to make comics for kids are pretty people that already know about comics that have mm-hmm. come up through comics and that are aware of and live in those channels. Mm-hmm. So it's a channels and distribution and market reach problem. Um, there's the there's the monopoly issue around Diamond and the fact that it's incredibly hard to diversify distribution of channels even if you want to. Um, but there's just there's there's so little chance for anything to reach outside that because. Traditional publishers are wary of taking comics. Magazines are tanking left, right, and center, and it's mm-hmm. going to look very risky. So, you know, the monthlies and the serials or the cheap publications, it's just its just not really going to happen. Your safest bet is the controlled monopoly channel, which is just not going to get you in front of a wider audience. Comics are... A, I'm about to drift off into a kind of Clayton Christensen thing here, but basically, comics innovation, or at least comics business development, as you definitely see from the, the duopoly, mm-hmm. um, so, so um, DC deciding that they serve a core readership of 18 to 30-something. And that will either stay there and stifle innovation, or the age will creep up as they want to hang on to it. But there are, there are ways now. But basically, there's a not exactly innovator's dilemma, but that shape of problem where you listen to your best customers and you do the things that your capacity for market address limits you to. I promised I wasn't going to talk about business models. Why are you letting me do so this? So the other, the other problem with that is that it's harder to shove someone into that world at 18 mm. um, than if they've been brought up in that tradition. So, yeah. like, I've read comics all my life, but that means moving from things like the Beano through to Asterix, mm. through to Judge Dredd and Batman and whatever yeah. was in the library, up to proper comics. And later. all of those things as well. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's just through, through serving a heavily entrenched existing market, um, comics are never going to be able to differentiate out and so the reach for kids comics is, is hugely limited. Do we have a problem also of comics aren't just for kids anymore? In certain places meaning comics aren't for kids anymore. Adults have got money, adults like comics, yes. now we can yeah. do comics for adults. And marketing uh, marketing propositions derived, uh, designed around nagging, which is essentially how you sell toys, mm. get a really bad rap if you get caught doing it. Yeah. I think it's partly tied into the general perception of comics as being the superhero comics anyway, mm-hmm. because you wouldn't uh, well, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't take another let's let's treat comics as a, a block like fantasy novels. You wouldn't begrudge their being kids' fantasy novels, and you wouldn't dismiss them out of hand mm. uh, as a buyer for a book selling company, for example. Mm. But it seems to be much harder to get comics onto the shelves. Well, you remember Borders used to carry the um, Spider-Man and I think Fantastic Four kids reprints? Yeah. uh, Do they still do those? Do they still republish them in a different format with the... Uh, I don't think they do the manga formats anymore. No, no, the the magazine republishes. Oh, the sort of thick thick covers. Yeah, they were slightly wider than a a tray. But those were designed to go to newsstands in as much as they existed. Yeah. Um, So those two exist. They sort of take two issues of a comic, bind them into one thing and then sell them through mm-hmm. news agents. But that's quite limited and it's quite an ugly way of doing what it. About, what about digital? So, like, kids these days have access to... Kids these days? What kids the fuck these do I days. Sound like? Kids these days have got iPads or access to iPads. That's, well, yeah, I'm... Yeah, let's pretend I said that and then we dealt with the problematic bit and the stuff around my privilege and all of that jazz and then we moved on. Um, I think they're spending all their money on microtransactions instead of comics. Oh, they're playing Smurf Village. 
a lot. They're just playing a lot of Smurf Village. As a homogenous block, mm. they are sat, glossy-eyed, playing Smurf Village. Are kids reading digital comics and we just don't know about it? Probably not. The sales aren't there yet. Digital, and digital comics are still only about 20% of the overall. Is it easy, it's easier to take a punt on a channel like that. It is. It's easier to put out a free webcomic. Mm. Are kids reading webcomics? I mean, is that a format that kids get? Because it's, I mean, I guess it's quite, it's quite distinct from the experience of reading a comic that comes in a book. And I, mm-hmm. but I don't know if kids these days are so entrenched we, in reading. Can we reading. stop saying kids these days? No, because it's funny. Oh. I don't know if kids these oh, days are my so entrenched in, you know, so kind of native to reading things online anyway that it wouldn't seem if, like if you a massive say, format If you shift. say digital native, I will kill you. No, digital natives. These little kids these days are digital natives, Roger. Fucking hell. They were born with iPhones in their hands. It was really... They, you, those those you scratch the cervix. Digital natives kind of makes me think of some sort of grotesque uh, 19th century headhunter style image. But, you know... They've, as well as having a bone through their nose, they've also got an iPad. It's a Cowboys and Indians horribly racist setup. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know where that's going. We've, we've gone really wrong and I broke the rules and talked about business models. You did a bit. Uh, it was a self-imposed rule, to be fair. We didn't try and stop you. Apart from the bit where you actually interrupted him. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I had to stop him. <laughs> I had to stop him. As with so many things, I had to stop him. I understand. For the sake of all of our ears and arteries, he must be stopped. I must. I think if there was one, you know, if there was a thing to fix this and make sure there were loads of kids' comics, then someone would have done it. I think it's the thing that's going to come from groundswell of, yeah, the interesting publishers that there are now and them getting more reach. Well, it's going to, if it happens, and it probably won't, but fuck it. Um, it's going to be that innovator's dilemma style. It's going to come from a direction away from the existing incumbents, like Kickstarter, or like Independent Digital, or like I mean, um, or like the Phoenix. It's going to come from someone playing differently and competing with non-consumption rather than competing with incumbency. So now's a good time to talk about Cartosia, yeah. um, because that's doing something a little bit different mm. um, and, and quite interesting. But it's going to be things like that. If it's anything, it's going to be things like that. Yeah. So their, their thing is that they have, what is it, nine, eight or nine core artists. Yeah. And they rotate around a map of a fantasy world and fill out little stories in each section with different characters or maybe new characters each week. And gradually the world gets built by that. And then there are um, sort of indie superstars, for want of a better word, like uh, Dylan Horrocks. Um, and James Kachalka, who are reasonably big names in terms of the sort of comics that I read. Mm. James Kachalka is probably one of the sort of the biggest names in indie comics now, having completed his run on American Elf, which is mm. big, big, long-running diary comic. Um, and those guys are sort of putting bits into it as well. Um, and at the moment, they're running a Kickstarter because they want to essentially sell subscriptions so they know they can keep pushing on with this thing. They've done two issues so far. And they're really nice little collections. They're sort of two or three page, uh, sometimes a bit longer stories set in this world. And they're probably a little, they're, they're, they're all ages, they probably skew a bit younger than, than I would normally read because they do stop for activities and things like that. Yeah. But if you are a uh, slightly comics obsessed parent and you want exciting things with Known, known creators and a bunch of new and interesting artists then it seems like a nice fit for that mm. can you buy it in the UK? are they going to do international shipping? Uh, so you can you can get international shipping um, I think it's about $65 backing that for 10 issues well that's not too shabby not, not too bad um, they are also doing digital versions now mm. as well so they'll ship it as, as PDF as each issue comes out okay so yeah again it's it's another it's another way of getting those comics out there um, that is slightly different to, to what's going on at the moment. Okay, well, I think that, that about wraps it up. I want to, just before we go, uh, because we are recording this on the day that we're recording it, 28th of August, I have a moment of silence because it's Jack Kirby's birthday. Okay, that'll do. But Jack Kirby was awesome. I'm probably going to put some Jack Kirby art on the post for this. Cool. Yeah, got a lot of time for, for Kirby. Well, Jack Kirby kind mm. of invented 
all of the good stuff in superhero comics. Yeah. Guy was awesome. Guy invented Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotta like Doctor Doom. Gotta love Galactus. Oh, Galactus. I love those guys. You've got your venerating an elder statesman voice on. It's quite obvious. Yeah. I'm alright with it. I've gone a bit radio too, haven't I? A little I? bit. Yeah, you have a little bit. Uh, that's my. When is Steve Wright on? I don't. I don't know. I don't ever want him to be on the radio. That man ruined my childhood. He's never going to be on future radio. Oh, thank God. I want to be on radio too, though. You, Talking you, about Galactus. You could be the new Terry Wogan. He's Irish. He is. He drinks you, a lot more than I do. Though. Talk really? About yeah. Mm. But I really do. I want to talk about Galactus on radio too. Let's make this happen, people. people. Let's make this happen. Is that something we can kickstart? Probably not. Probably not. I don't think they would take that. I mean, we could kickstart storming the BBC two offices, overtaking over and, uh, and talking about, talking about Galactus. Mm-hmm. I think it might lose a lot of the audience, but those that stayed <laughs> would learn avoid something. the cull. They get to avoid the cull, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, in, this, is, this has become elaborate. In my brave new Galactus-based republic... Galactus-based oh, radio republic. You two will be my heralds. Will we now? I'm yes. not wearing Can I play the suit. trumpet? I'm not wearing that suit. No. Can you no. surf? No. That is part of the deal. You need no. to be able to surf. Do I look like I can surf? I knew, I know I grew up near Cornwall, but I can't surf. Okay. But yeah, okay. I, I'm, Ooh, I'm not. Ooh, biplanes. Okay, these people have been distracted by something shiny, so I think... Old timey aircraft. Say goodbye, people. Goodbye, people. I'm going to go home and have some Beaujolais. Goodbye. Yeah.